The more information that comes out about the murderer in Highland Park, seven people dead, he was on a rooftop shooting down, wearing women's clothing so he could escape with the crowd. He wanted to also engage in a shooting in Madison, Wisconsin. Drove up there, didn't feel that uh, he had the right uh, plan together. The father conversations of uh, his actions, basically washing his hands of the whole thing, saying, hey, it wasn't me. As a matter of fact, we talked about the mass shooting that took place in Denmark, because there was a mass shooting in Denmark, three people dead. No one wanted to talk about that. This happened just a few days ago, a few days before what happened in, in Highland Park, Illinois. And supposedly his son said, yeah, that guy was a fool. That guy didn't know what he was doing. What? How ridiculous. You mean he didn't have a good enough plan? The whole thing, the more you get into it, the more awful and sick and twisted it gets. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. And then the latest, as the New York Post reports it, that this 22-year-old, never mind all the clear and obvious signs of mental illness, also had um, posted images of a teenage sex doll pushing out anti-Semitic remarks. Everything, everything we learn about this guy makes you question how he was able to get a firearm. So that's the question. If we're going to talk about, as they discuss, the common sense gun law conversation. Well, isn't that what Illinois is filled with and nothing worked? Cam Edwards joins us right now. He's the editor-in-chief of BearingArms.com. Uh, I will call an expert on the Second Amendment uh, by far and certainly one of my go-to guys. His latest, How the Highland Park Suspect Got Guns Legally Despite Threats of Violence. Cam, it's good to have you with us, Cam Edwards, on Twitter at Cam Edwards. We don't use names here, so we're going to avoid using uh, the name of, of this killer we don't i'm not interested in creating martyrs out, out of anybody uh but i want you to if you would break down the the rules of illinois there's this idea of something called a foid which is a card you need in order to purchase a firearm how the father gets involved the what we know about this kid's history and how this it, in a world of background checks wasn't discovered walk us walk us through it in this piece that you wrote at bearingarms.com Sure. Appreciate it, Tony. And uh, by the way, we have the same policy at, uh, at Bearing Arms as well. Um, we, we don't name these suspects. I don't want to give them the attention that, they, uh, that they're that they seeking in many cases. But, you know, in, in this case, I think you've got really two points of failure. You've got the failure of law enforcement. You've got the failure of the family. Uh, so as you mentioned, in Illinois, in order to legally possess a firearm in your home, you have to have what's called a firearm owner ID card, which requires you to apply to the Illinois State Police they put you through a background check. It's basically the same process as, as buying a gun, only it's, you know, your your uh, application to exercise your right to keep a gun in your home. Uh, this law is actually being challenged in court. The Illinois State Supreme Court recently punted on the constitutionality of this law, sent it back down to the uh, to the lower courts. They've been trying very, very hard to avoid ruling on the substance of this law because I think it's unconstitutional, quite frankly, but it is on the books right now. Uh, and as it stands, if you are 18, 19, or 20 years old uh, and you are applying for a FOID card, you basically need an endorsement 
from uh, an adult or a, a family member. And in this case, it was the suspect's father who signed off on this. Three months after police had come to, I guess, his mom's house uh, on reports that he was that the suspect was threatening to, quote, kill everybody. And when police got there, uh, apparently family members said, no, no, that wasn't the case. But they ended up taking, I think it was like 16 different bladed weapons uh, from the home. And then a short time later, the suspect's dad contacts police and says, hey, those are actually my knives. And so the police returned the knives. Now, earlier that same year, this is 2019, uh, April of 2019, police were called out to the house because the suspect was apparently threatening to commit suicide. And the family said at the time, um, we'll deal with it. We'll make sure that he gets the, the mental health help that he needs. And the police said, OK, fine. Uh, and they left. So there are a couple of issues here. First, the the, the lack of response um, or the lack of, of, of really you know delving deeply into this on the part of law enforcement officers. You can make the case that the you know first incident back in April when the family said, we'll take care of this, we'll make sure he gets the help he needs. That police, you know, could have walked away uh, believing that this was going to be a situation that was resolved. But to me, when they're called out four months later and now the threat has gone from he's trying to he's starting to kill himself to now he's starting to kill other people. I don't understand. Forget the, the red flag law in Illinois. I don't understand why the police didn't invoke the civil commitment law in this case and say, listen, um, we know what you're saying, but somebody called us out here. Uh, we're going to take him in have him evaluated, see if a mental health professional believes that he's a danger to himself or others, and that way he makes, we make sure that he gets the help that he needs. That didn't happen. Not only was the red flag law, which went into effect in Illinois in 2019, not invoked, but the civil commitment law, which has been on the books for decades, was never used by law enforcement. So that's the first problem. But i got to tell you, again, as a father, I have a huge issue with the dad uh, you know, basically endorsing his son knowing the troubles that he was having just months earlier. Uh, and, you know, for the, for the father, I know he's given some interviews afterwards. The attorney says, oh, he's being scapegoated. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think that there really are questions about why the dad would say, yeah, I think my son is good to go when it comes to owning a firearm. Having said that, that was back in 2019. And this Floyd card could have been revoked at any time by the Illinois State Police if there were any signs that this guy was uh, a danger to himself or others, if he had been accused of a crime beforehand. Um, so that was, you know, three years ago, about two and a half years ago, when he applied for his FOID card. And apparently he didn't do anything over the past couple of years to draw the attention of, of law enforcement. Although certainly, again, when you look at his social media, um, there were a lot of concerns that, that probably should have been raised over the course of the last couple of years. Talking to Cam Edwards, BearingArms.com. But we look now at at some of the things that have been discussed and, and President Biden just signed into law. And one of these, something you and I discussed, was the idea of looking at juvenile records. We're going to look at juvenile records for people who are under the age uh, of 21 uh, if they're going to buy a, a long rifle to see if they're eligible uh, to, to do so. Like we do background checks in the U.S. via uh, the National Instant Background uh, Check System, the NICS system as it's referred to. My argument was if we're going to take a look at someone's juvenile record when they're 20 why aren't we taking a look at juvenile records when they're 30 this uh, ugly as it is proves my point that we're not looking at juvenile records because he was 22 
or, 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 or 21 when he purchased uh, the weapon. He was he was therefore uh, it was fine and good and it didn't matter. So well, it seems that we're engaged in legislation because he didn't what? have a juvenile record. But that's he, important to note here. He didn't have a juvenile record. He was so never the stuff arrested. in 2019 wasn't on he a juvenile record. Charged. That's hold not, on, hold on, Cam. I want to make sure I'm clear. Is not going to be a disqualifying factor for you owning a gun. Cam, hold on. You're talking hold about on. Cam, 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 Cam. Give me one second. Check, you're looking for convictions. You're looking for adjudications of mental defectiveness. You're looking for a prohibiting factor. Police coming out to your house that doesn't result in charges, that doesn't result in a conviction, is not going to be a disqualifying factor to purchase a firearm. Are you saying to me, Cam, that his 2019 attempted suicide, and then five months later, the threat to kill his family that police were called out for, that's where they found the 16 knives, the dagger and the sword, that where the father then said, oh, no, wait, bring them back. Those are mine. I just kept them in his room for safekeeping. That doesn't. That never went on a record anywhere? According to the Highland Park Police, they submitted a report to, uh, I think it's called a clear and present danger report to the Illinois State Police. But again, because there were no charges, he wasn't involved in the court system. He, he didn't he didn't ever have to go to court for that incident. So the Illinois State Police said, look, that's not enough information for us to say no to, to giving him a license. And, and that's exactly the type of subjective stuff that goes on in blue states like New York, where they can say, well, listen, you know, I know you haven't been convicted of a crime, but I mean, police came out to your house like four years ago. What was that all about? Why, why should we let you own a gun? The failure here, again, is on law enforcement. They had the opportunity to press charges. They had the opportunity to invoke the civil commitment law. But you can't say that, well, you know, we, we should change the law to make it easier to deprive people of their Second Amendment rights if police go out to their house at some point. That's not the answer. You're not going to get an argument from me on that because I, I, I agree with you. I was just under the, the belief that the, the police being called out for the threatening to kill the family was something that was part of, of the record. If that wasn't part of the record, it does lead to, as you're discussing, this idea of, well, what do we go after and what don't we? There is a societal question here that is pretty large that both uh, lawful gun owners and uh, the, the gun grabbers do need to wrestle with, which is what do we want from law enforcement to be able to put on the books, if you will, on, on someone's record? Are we... Do we err on the side of the people's rights and say, if no one's pressing charges, there's nothing we can do? Or is there some level of notation that needs to be uh, uh, addressed here? And I think that's why, like like many people, you're taking a look at the father and saying, how could you how could you be somebody who signs off on this? And that leads to, is there a culpability for parents in these situations and is there a position of of uh, people uh, of course on the side of the second amendment who say that parents maybe need to have a culpability in this well i think the culpability is uh certainly something that's being looked at here i i think it's a lot easier to prove culpability when the issue is somebody who's a minor uh for instance the uh, uh suspect in the oxford uh michigan high school shooting uh, whose parents are being charged right um, that's a little bit different. This, this suspect in Highland Park was 18. He was an adult when he applied for his FOID card. It was just that Illinois law requires, again, if you're under the age of 21, to have somebody, uh, you know, basically endorse you. Um, the fact that he was 21 when this mass shooting took place, I, I think also 
you know, cuts against the idea that the father is ultimately culpable or, or, or bears some legal responsibility here. I have questions, again, about why the dad said, yeah, I think my son's good to go back in 2019, but I'm not so sure that that makes him responsible for what happened in 2022. Talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. You know, the the big difference between... I'm going to use an us and them uh, statement, but hopefully it it makes sense. The the big difference between us and them is that for them, the answer is the elimination of the Second Amendment. For us, uh, the, the answer is trying to understand what has happened in cases and see whether or not there's anything there that actually should persist, persist, should precipitate. There it is. Thank you, Tony. A change. Should there be any level of changes? I think that when we take a step back from the nitty gritty and look a little bit higher, Illinois is a place of what they call these common sense gun laws. Yet for all of that and the things that you're discussing, none of it made a difference here so are we going in it to a circular logic of the idea of well more laws is clearly the answer when all the laws didn't stop anything yeah that's the i mean you're right that that's the democratic playbook right well uh, clearly because this happened we have all these gun control laws in the books that means that we don't have enough we must need more um, I, again, I say the answer in, in, in this case, one of the things we really need to be looking at is the existing criminal justice system and how it operates on a day to day basis. You know, because in every one of these cases in Buffalo and Uvalde, now in Highland Park, you can go back and say, wait, wait, wait. Why didn't the police actually do something? There were multiple you know, trips out to these houses. There were multiple reports of these individuals doing stuff that, that we would consider at least weird uh, and, and possibly rises to the level of criminal activity. But why was there nothing other than police contact? Why were, there, why, why, why were prosecutors never brought in? Why were no charges ever filed? And the sad truth, Tony, is that we have a dysfunctional criminal justice system. 97% of felony cases in this country are plea bargained down. I just ran a story yesterday at Bearing Arms about a guy in uh, Detroit, Wayne County, Michigan. Now, this guy was accused of a drive-by shooting while he was out on bond. He was on GPS monitoring. Uh, He was accused of violating his bond conditions five different times. He gets hauled in before a judge to explain himself. And the judge says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to remove your GPS monitoring device so we don't have to know the next time you break the law. And you're free to go, sir. You're, You're released on your own personal recognizance. That is what's happening in courtrooms across the country every day. If you think that the criminal justice system takes violent criminal behavior seriously, you're fooling yourself. We have a shortage of prosecutors. We have a shortage of public defenders. We do not have a functional criminal justice system. And adding more gun control laws onto this broken system isn't going to do anything to make anybody one iota safer. I want to move it over to um, another story that you had about a poll. But I, I, hearing you say that, you know, uh, people, they, they know you as, as, as a gun guy, but they, they don't know you as a culture guy. And the next time uh, you're with us, we're going to dig into the culture problems here, books you've written about fatherhood and things like that, because it, it, our, our culture problem is the problem. But while I still have 60 seconds or so, you wrote about a poll that was done, uh, Mammoth University poll, and talks about the biggest concerns uh, for voters and... Um, 
guns don't even rank in double digits. No, 3% of voters said that guns uh, was their top concern. I think another 2% said crime was their top concern. 63% gave some version of the economy, whether it was inflation, grocery prices, gas prices. That is the driving issue right now. Now, it doesn't mean that people don't care about violent crime. It doesn't mean that people aren't concerned about what we're seeing in places like Uvalde and Highland Park. But it does mean that, you know, fundamentally, when you ask people what is the single most important issue right now, it's their kitchen table issues. It's their wallet issues, right? It is. It's things cost more. I'm not making much more. Sometimes I might, I might even be making less. And I'm worried how to put gas in my tank. I'm worried how to put a roof over my kid's head. I'm worried how to put food on the table at night. That is what is driving this election. Um, uh, 150%. Uh, check out the article over there at BearingArms.com. Cam, I'm just up against the time. We're going to have you back. We're going to get into more of this. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.